Up next, Authentically Detroit covers the 2020 midterm election. Daniel Atkinson and Ebony Wills-Taylor of Mothering Justice joins us to discuss Proposal 3. And Dan Arking of Soapbox Detroit follows with a discussion on engaging local government. But first, this week's hot take comes from the New York Times. Why a black Democratic city won't have a black Democrat in the House. Keep it locked. Authentically Detroit starts after these messages. Founded in 2021, the Stoudemire is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. Membership in the Stoudemire is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stoudemire offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the east side have access to exclusive services in the wellness network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org. Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroiters rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that ask the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit BridgeDetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit. By Detroiters. For Detroiters. Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the WDET studios. We are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. We want to tell you thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people in the city of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We have a full house in the studio today. (laughs) Donna, Danielle, Ebony, and Dan, how is this Blessed day, finally. It's you, Donna. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day outside. You know, it's it November, was and yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying this good weather. It's daylight savings time, so I wake hour. up with a little bit more sunshine. And mm-hmm. when at the end of the day, yes. I don't know if I'm missing. I'm feeling good about that. Plus, Michigan won this past Saturday. Go blue! <laughs> and <laughs> then the big surprise was the occasional win by the Lions. Oh my right? gosh! Oh, the Lions. Yeah. That was <laughs> we're going to the Super Bowl. Somebody said we're going to the Super Bowl, and I say, yeah. I'm going to buy them front row tickets so that they can see it exactly. right from the front row. Hey, profess it. Manifest it. <laughs> Dan, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. It's starting to feel like fall today. Yeah. These past few weeks, I don't know if I'm supposed to be wearing a t-shirt or a sweater. I've had to keep both drawers open. I know, right? Keep them open. Well, so. welcome to the show. This is your first time. My first time. All right. Hopefully it won't be the last. I hope so. <laughs> it's fantastic to be with you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Ebony Wells Taylor, our <laughs> homie, our 
our friend, our fellow ECM board member, East yes, Sider, yes, yes. East Chandler Side, Parker. What's Every good? Day, all day. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> um, no, doing great. My morning was crazy and the day was crazy, but, you know, it's a it's a great day in the land of the living. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Donna, can you believe this is her first time on? I this can't believe it's a first time mom, but I'm super excited to have her on. If yeah. you don't know, Ebony Taylor's a board member of ECN. Yes. And um, so, yeah, I'm really excited. She's actually working on a housing report for us that's going to help Damn. lay out what's needed in the city of Detroit. So, the band baby. Yes. Oh, so really, it is a long time coming. <laughs> I know, you know it was. And we started this some time ago, but I'm going to tell you, I'm glad we didn't finish it then because yeah. everything has changed. So much has changed. I just got there. today an RFP for the redevelopment of Parkside Homes. Where the housing commission, the commission is looking for somebody to develop the portion of Parkside that has remained undeveloped into yeah. housing. Yeah. And wow. they're trying to determine whether or not to tear down or to replace the housing that is there. And yeah. what they said, which I think is really troubling, is that they're going to provide Section 8 certificates for people who are uh, there. Yeah. And you know what that means. That means that there's going to be some transient inclusion of people who are low income. Yeah. But when they leave, will that remain affordable to people who really need housing? Exactly. Yeah. And we Ooh. knew something was going to happen because the ones that were vacant, we weren't seeing those being replaced. Occupied, yeah. Right. That's so. Right. Yeah, well, I know what that's it. like. Yeah. I, I remember Donna said, what was it, 2016? She was like, we're going to update the LEAP plan. Orlando, mm-hmm. you're going to take it on and we're going to finish it in like six months. <laughs> <laughs> Two I years was not later. that night. Two years later. <laughs> You know, you got to get the train rolling, okay? You got to motivate people with false promises and unrealistic expectations. Come on now. And I am happy to say welcome back to Danielle Atkinson. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's great to be back. How are you? I'm good. What do we have? About, um, what, six hours till polls open? So there's almost an end to this election cycle. So I'm happy i will embrace that and you know i'm preparing for a week of not sleeping yes. uh, as oh a journalist this, this is what we this is what we do how about this guys for hot takes uh, it's time to run down some of the week's top headlines in and about the city of detroit and i say about the city of detroit because the new york times has stepped its toe into our business one Yet more again one more right. again from the new york times why a black democratic city won't have a black Democrat in the House. So this is an article uh, by the New York Times. What's the man's name? His name is Clyde. Clyde from the New York Times wrote this, y'all. Clyde McGrady. Clyde from D.C. Clyde from D.C. Mm-hmm. who I'm went to here. New York uh, <laughs> University who now works at the New York Times. Here's what he says. In 2013, Detroit elected Mike Duggan, his first white mayor since the 1970s, the same year that a former mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, was convicted of charges including racketeering and extortion. How that is connected to mm. black representation right, conversation you know. now? Mm. Okay. Uh, five years later, Rashida Tlaib became the first woman of Palestinian descent to be elected to Congress when she won the seat once occupied by John Conyers Jr., a towering figure in Detroit politics who resigned over sexual harassment allegations look at Clyde Clyde was on the roll and those victories and Sri Tanardar's point to an emerging sense among black constituents that the psychic emotional and symbolic benefits of racial representation may not have materially improved their lives Donna I'm, I'm really I'm anxious to hear what you got to so say so hard to be patient <laughs> this man 
Oh my God, Clyde! Call his name, Clyde. I guess he thinks he knows Detroit. You don't know Detroit, sir. (laughs) Yes. Okay. If you understood Detroit, you would understand the intervening years of emergency management, the intentional dismantling of of Detroit. Of course not. Instead, we choose scandal and we choose those things that make us look bad. But anyway, we skip over emergency management and bankruptcy that was caused by some financial bond, you know, deals that didn't go well. And how about this? We skipped over redistricting, which was completed this year. This is the first time that the the 13th Congressional District has not been majority black in as long as I can remember, as long as many people can remember. Mm. So for this man to talk about that without looking at the suppression, voter suppressing impacts of Mm -hmm. um, emergency management, of dismantling our government. If you look at the way that our um, community was torn apart such that so many black people no longer live in Detroit because Detroit is no longer affordable and they were pushed into neighboring suburbs. suburbs. If you look at all of the things that happened with our schools that made parents unwilling to take a risk in schools because our schools were also dismantled through emergency management. If you look at all of that, then what you can point to is really a community that is struggling to figure out how to move forward. And I'm optimistic that we're going to figure out how to move forward. But I will say this, nothing that he said, but I also believe that moving forward, we're going to need black candidates who run as if they are running in multiracial districts. And that means that they have to figure out how to motivate black people in Detroit to vote for them. while also having cross-cutting issues that are attractive to people in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. It's possible. We've seen other politicians across this nation do that. But this idea that black people will simply get elected because they are black isn't there. Rashida Tlaib ran on a progressive political agenda that you don't necessarily see in many black circles in the city of Detroit. Will the Black against Democratic black Party candidate. against a black against a thousand Several. black candidates right. the first time, <laughs> and then again after she delivered against a single black candidate? But the question, or actually a couple, but the question is: Will black people in Detroit, black politicos, understand that you've got to move your agenda forward? There's a younger generation that is not interested in your 1979 politics and is looking for somebody who can represent us today. Ooh. And that, to me, is the issue. It's not disillusion. It is that a whole generation has come for a generation that came to into being during the first housing recession, a generation that came into being. We first understood. Wait a minute. There was mass incarceration. It was happening. We just mm-hmm. didn't understand what was mm-hmm. happening. And then emergency that came management into being with a bankrupt Detroit. Emergency management and bankruptcy. And so some of those that generation does not trust politics. Period. I don't think it is about Kwame Kilpatrick because guess what? In Detroit, people still love Kwame yeah. Kilpatrick. Yeah, they do. Okay, that's not an issue. It's not about John Conyers because in Detroit. People will always revere John Kanye. Mm, yes. Maybe not the New York Times, but in this city, black people love Kwame and John. The question is, do they trust government? Yeah. 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 But, Clyde, <laughs> this ain't what you want, Clyde. <laughs> Clyde at the New York Times, this ain't what you want. But, I, or go Randa, ahead. can I just say, sure. you know, I think the New York Times loves Detroit or it loves to think it loves Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I know that because my New York family, every time there's an article about Detroit in, in the Times, I get a <laughs> clipping in the mail from my New York family that read about Detroit in the New York Times, and they want to make sure I know about it. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. <laughs> I want to ask you guys this question, because in the article, he talks about the election of Mike Duggan in 2013, um, and we had not had a white mayor since Comillon was elected in 1973. Uh, is Do you guys feel like there is a dichotomy that needs to be named with Detroit 
electing and then re-electing twice Mike Duggan and uh, juxtapose that to what we potentially will have in Congress. There is a black man running for the 13th district. He's running as a Republican. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody with knows it, that. We've heard of with him. His, right. with, his, with his friend Kristen Caramel who tried to disenfranchise all of us, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So is this something that... What is this conversation a little late? I mean, we we're talking about black representation in Washington, but yeah. we we've been electing this this white but, mayor. You know, like is there a connection him. there? We first elected him at a point when Detroit was in emergency management. We lost yeah. all of our power. Yeah. One of his campaign promises is, "I can get you out of emergency management," mm-hmm. and people wanted their power restored. As mayor, he has been effective at convincing the majority of people who continue to vote that he is working on things and you can see things changing in places that the people who vote care about. What I, I will also say is there's such a small percentage of Detroiters voting right now for anybody that this is not a referendum on his leadership necessarily. Not when you have mm. fewer than 40% of the people, 50% of the people showing up. This is a referendum on what the voting public wants to see. Mm. Yeah. How do we motivate the other 80% of the eligible voters to actually go to the polls. It's not going to be with the same old stuff. I had beliefs that maybe we could have a more vigorous debate around some of these issues last uh, mayoral election. And let's just say there was not a vis- vigorous opponent. Mm. And so no matter how hard I tried to tr- encourage that, um, it didn't change. I think it's always helpful, even if you're going to have the same mayor, to have that mayor challenged and forced to defend his record with integrity right right now you just have a mayor who's able to just sort of say whatever and people like yay yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) let me skating by on that let me ask this question um is there something to be said about black suburbanites and mobilizing them around uh these congressional races because one of the points that was constantly being made during the process of redistricting is that there are black people that live outside the city of detroit who also needs to feel and be represented anybody got an opinion on that yeah i think you know as a (coughs) suburbanite (laughs) i looked right at you right i think you know i what i what came out of this primary for me was a referendum on progressives And for them to see what redistricting is and to hold them accountable for who maintains their power, who gives them their power, right? So I had someone come to me and they said, and I said, I was upset. I was like, listen, what are you doing? What is your succession plan? Mm -hmm. It needs to be Detroiters. It needs to be black representation when you leave. And they're like, well, you know, we have so-and-so running at a state level and blah, blah, blah. And, And how much representation do you need respectfully? And I was like, respectfully, as much as the Democratic Party relies on black people to be in power, that's how much representation they need. So whether you're in the suburbs or you're in Detroit, uh, Take care of your base, Mm -hmm. you know, but the convert, what I really loved about this conversation was when voters were talked to about this article, I heard it this morning on WDET, um, they were bringing up the issues. They're like, in comparison to the black Republican running, they're like, you know, all skin folk, you know, all skin folk and kin folk when it comes to the issues that we need and the issues that we have in Detroit. Representation is important. It is. And listen, full stop. Right. Representation is important. But also we need to talk about the issues and who's going to be there for us and who is talking. And so this game that the Republicans are playing with, let's run black Black people. people. You know, and it's a game. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. They see through it. Voters see through it. So, yes, there needs to be a concerted political operation built that is um, focused on restoring black representation on a national level and a state level. Um, but till then, the people that we the people that we're electing, if they are speaking to the issues, that's the most important. And, you know, if you don't know what the issues are, there are so many community meetings show up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Show up at a block club meeting. Yep. Show up at ECN's Leap SAG events. Show up at all of the events. I know Mothering Justice had an event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every, there's events all over the city. Talk to voters. You don't need to bring them all of your great ideas that you've test, you know, tested out and yep. some, you know, up with, before a focus group. Talk to people and hear from them and let them tell you what they need. The best people who run for office are always people who hear first. I will say that Rashida Tlaib was out there organizing the community and listening to people on the ground before she was elected to office. And in my district, Senate District, I think one, Stephanie Chang has done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Stephanie shows up at our meetings. Yeah. Stephanie calls up and asks what you want to do. She's in people's houses. It's yeah. not magic. Yeah. But a lot of times, I think we're running without this understanding that, yes, the environment matters. People care about it. Black yeah. people care about the environment. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about housing poor people who are finding themselves increasingly displaced. Let's talk about mass incarceration and what that looks like in the street level. What I see is people running on safe agendas because they're unwilling to tackle those things that may alienate them from a very conservative, in my mean, or yeah. mainstream Democratic Party mm-hmm. that is still controlled by people who are older than me. And it, when I say that, I'm the oldest person in the room. Okay, mm-hmm. And so it really should not be that people who are younger than me don't really have voice and influence over how that party progresses. People will talk about student loans as if this is not something of urgent concern. But when you talk to any young person in America, hello, is this thing, <laughs> if their parents <laughs> took out thing. parent plus loans, uh, we're yeah. all concerned. And so I think, that's where we have to let our young people guide us. There's so many young people who are wondering what kind of future we're going to be left with after all of this environmental change and the yep. climate change. And yet we keep on saying, well, that's important, but let's worry about jobs yeah. or let's worry about something that's more important. Yeah, that's <laughs> I so swear they're going to train us out of poverty. It's just so oh my we don't get trained out of, you know, uh, this, this generation <laughs> that's coming up ain't seeing it uh, for the patriarchy. They're not seeing it for ageism and respectability. Yep. They're not seeing it for Warren Evans, Legacy Committee, and any of these o- other committees that don't include the voices of young people. The one thing, though, I want to say to Clyde, Clyde, are you listening? <laughs> Clyde, listen to me. It is a grave mistake and mishap on your part as a journalist to conflate Sri Tanadar in his election to that of sitting Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Clyde. You can't exactly. conflate the two. They're two distinctly different people with different records. And different circumstances. In different circumstances. Clyde, do your homework, Clyde. Uh, uh. <laughs> if you don't know who to call. <laughs> call Orlando Bailey <laughs> or ask somebody call Danielle Atkinson Just call Ebony somebody. Taylor call me and yeah. we'll help you understand how to navigate this world Jeez. of Detroit if New York Times if you love Detroiters that much and you want to write about it this much hire a Detroiter to speak on our behalf okay what is this thing on <laughs> alright y'all this has been a robust discussion we're getting ready to take a quick break but before we go if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook Instagram and Twitter 
or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. We're going to be right back with Daniel Ackerson and Abilene Wells-Taylor to talk about Proposal 3. They're with Mothering Justice. Keep it locked. Have you always dreamed of being on the airwaves? Well, the Detroit Eastside Engaged Podcast Network, or DEEP for short, is here to make that dream a reality. Located inside the Stoudemire, the DEEP Network offers studio space and production staff to help get your podcast idea off the ground. Doesn't take a whole lot of work to get started. Just visit the Authentically Detroit page at ecn-detroit.org or call Sarah at 313-948-0344. Founded in 2021, the Stoudemire is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. Membership in the Stoudemire is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stoudemire offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the east side have access to exclusive services in the wellness network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org. All right. Happy election week, everybody. This week, we're breaking down proposal three, one of the most talked about items on the Michigan ballot. And we've invited Daniel Atkinson and Ebony Wells Taylor of Mothering Justice to join us. We're so happy that they're here. Uh, Mothering Justice is a grassroots policy advocacy organization that provides mothers of color in America with the resources and tools to use their power to make equitable changes in policy. They are dedicated to improving the quality of life for families in America by empowering mothers of color to take action on American policy on behalf of themselves and their families. You can visit motheringjustice.org to learn more. We want to talk about the ballot, but first, let me read you the language of Proposal 3 that you'll find at the ballot box on Tuesday. Proposal 22-3, a proposal to amend the state constitution to establish new Individual right to reproductive freedom, including right to make all decisions about pregnancy and abortion, allow state to regulate abortion in some cases, and forbid prosecution of individuals exercising established right. This proposed constitutional amendment would... Establish new individual right to reproductive freedom, including right to make and carry out all decisions about pregnancy, such as prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion, miscarriage management, and infertility. It would allow state to regulate abortion after fetal viability, but not prohibit if medically needed to protect a patient's life or physical or mental health. It will forbid state discrimination and enforcement of this right, prohibit prosecution of an individual or a person helping a pregnant individual for exercising rights established by this amendment. It will invalidate state laws conflicting with this amendment. And the proposal will say, should this proposal be adopted? Yes or no. Here to discuss all of it, Danielle Atkinson and Ebony Wells Taylor. All right, y'all. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. So where do we start? Do we start with the Supreme Court reversal of Roe? I think that's a really important place to start, right? Take us back. So we are here because for decades, the right has made it a priority to reverse Roe versus Wade, which gives us federal protections for abortion. It gives us... um, right to privacy, right? And so they finally were able to do that with a Supreme Court that is heavily um, Republican nominees, heavily 
white men have decided that we should not have federal protection. Um, And as I'm sure, um, you know, everyone listening, really federal protection is the opportunity to have a protection that should be your just God-given right not be messed with, determine on what state you're in, right? We we see that as, okay, these are just no-brainers. These are rights you should have. You should be able to go to Alabama and have these rights. You should be able to go to Michigan and have these rights. So after that fell, then it leaves us to the states and what the states have on the books or what the states enact. Yeah. Michi- so what did Michigan have on the Yeah, so... Go ahead, Ebony. (laughs) We had a 1931 zombie law, right, that made it um, uh, against the law illegal to have an abortion. Um, And we saw after the overturning of of Roe all these trigger laws um, that went into place in other states where now uh, women are and birthing folks are concerned and afraid to, to get abortions. And so... Um, it's definitely concerning and we're trying to prevent that here in Michigan. So, so isn't it bigger? It, I'm sorry. I just have a no. question. Isn't it bigger than abortions? Like yeah. I think women are afraid to have miscarriages because yeah. if you yeah. have a miscarriage, there's going to be a question of whether or not you, um, you know, cause this through medication or through some irresponsible behavior. And women have been convicted of that in other places, haven't they? Yeah. Yes, they have. And so, you know, Fortunately, a, a lot of people don't understand the complications that can come with being pregnant. And, you know, for, first and foremost, we see this as a right that everyone should have. It's about right. bodily autonomy. It's about being able to make a decision for yourself, your future, based on consultation with your family and your medical professional. But there are so many gray areas where people are, you know, I've had three miscarriages. I don't know anybody who oh my doesn't love somebody who hasn't had a miscarriage. There's a point in a pregnancy where you don't know. Oh whether or not you can pass this naturally or you need medical intervention. You know, these are things that we don't unfortunately talk about, but doctors understand it. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we, what many people fear, you know, is, Oh my gosh, I have to make this decision. My doctor's uncertain whether or not this is legal. He knows what's in the best interest for me as far as my life expectancy and my health, but he doesn't know legally if this is permissible. That is some gray area that we don't need and we shouldn't have, especially when we're talking about people's bodies and their, their health. Can I ask this question? I want to ask this question to you two about some of the language in the proposal and it lists the things, it, it, it goes on to list a litany of things that should be protected. Prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception. Yeah. Is contraception not protected under this trigger law that Michigan has? Why is, why is contraception included in this language? It is because, again, we have trigger laws. We have legislator, legislatures all over the country who are so ignorant of what goes on in a person's body when they're pregnant, saying, oh, yeah, so this is birth control. This is an abortion, not understanding at all the complexity of it. So it's important that we name all of those things that should be protected um, and that can, you know, just make sure there's no ambiguity in the law right. so that people People are are feeling safe. You know, so often in our community, we hear about people not going to the doctor for just fear 
in a lot of in a lot of instances, right? Or just hesitation. And we definitely don't want to put more barriers between a person and their doctor and their care. Right. So just a couple of things I think. One of them is that there are some birth control methods that that, that don't permit the implantation yes. of a fertilized egg. Yes. And if that is that birth control method, people who are these you know, um, conception, life begins at conception, mm-hmm. believe the conception occurs at the fertilization. And we'll look at that as a um, an abortion or yeah. whatever. In fact, that's the, what the Catholic Church has. That's the stance of the Catholic Church is that yeah. birth control is destroying life or destroying life's possibilities or whatever. Yeah. So I think that when you look at it, it's not far fetched to believe that some abortion methods would be there. Yeah. The some other control, thing, yeah. I, um, you know, I, I had miscarriage as well yeah. in between um, my first two children and um and it was kind of late yeah (laughs) it was um extremely traumatic yeah Mm -hmm. and in order to you know i had to have a dnc yeah Mm -hmm. in order to move things along and they did you know an analysis and found out that there were some um chromosomal abnormalities and that was one of the darkest periods of my life yeah you know there's a death there i'm wearing maternity clothes i'm walking around everything's in my head and boom it's over Mm. to add to that the trauma of women being afraid that people won't know whether they took um an abortion pill or something else that creates something i think really what we're talking about is beyond body body autonomy is body policing policing women and just trying to make sure and so i think that the slippery slope of this is really scary Yeah. yeah it's bad enough um Question, do you think that most people in Michigan oppose, are in support of Proposal 3? I do. I do think most people understand that they understand privacy. You know, even if you don't have a uterus, you understand the concept of if I, you know, as a person, I should have the right about what I'm doing with my body. And if they don't understand that, I put the simple analogy of, you know, blood or bone marrow a tr- uh, donation and you know would you want that to be dictated for you would you want to be put on a registry and said and someone tell you oh there's someone over here whose life you can save get in that chair and give give uh, your blood your marrow your liver no you want to be able to make that choice for yourself most people understand and agree that that is a personal decision based on your moral code your life um, and, and when given that explanation, I think most people are like, yes, yeah. the only reason we're talking about this is because it, it, it has, it pertains to only half of the population. And even conservative polls show that 50% of, of Michiganders feel like proposal three is, is, is the way to go. So, I mean, you know, more progressive ones are close to 60, but yeah, most Michiganders do agree with it. In fact, I've read that that is the most um, important issue many people take to vote uh, voting this time around. And that is encouraging to me. I'm wondering if that will lead to a blue wave or other kinds of victories in this state because so many people are activated to show up and protect their rights. Um, Is that something that you see? I'm I'm hopeful. (laughs) I'm hopeful that people... These polls are so close. I can't even look at the polls. We were just talking about it. I can't look at the polls, but I'm really hopeful. I'm really hopeful that people take this and they extend beyond this issue to 
freedoms in general, liberties yeah. in general, what are what uh, what um, power we have when we're voting, and they extend that, and they yes, they vote for people that are are in their self interest to have that kind of autonomy. But yeah, we don't want to give any ideas. I just want to say, I just but, wanna say uh-huh. real quickly that polls are based on a lot of predictions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like who is going to show up exactly, and who is going to show up where. Yeah. And nobody really knows that until election day. Yep. That's why you have That's these election um, surprises. And so I think the question for me mm-hmm. is who's going to show up? Who's going to show up most often? And um, how do we get as many people who are um, thinking like this to the polls? I have one other question though. Mm-hmm. Is does pro- proposal three provide an escape hatch for people who would otherwise vote Republican to say, you know what, I can vote for Proposal 3 yeah. and protect my right to choose while also supporting people who want to ban books. Yeah, we thought about that or we talked <laughs> about that earlier. And I think that's to Danielle's point of hopefully people align just freedom in general with, right, the, the Dems. That's the only hope that we have because people can't absolutely do what you just said. <laughs> yeah, we and don't want to give yeah. people ideas, but... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think people have already who who have that in mind have already thought that. But um, the the, the group that gets a lot of attention, I I am very concerned about that. The the educated white woman is is there's a lot of polling. There's a lot of analysis about that group of people and they are the least likely to be party loyal. So that's a concern. Whereas. Oh, that's party loyal to the Republicans. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They, that's a they concern to Republicans. Yeah, yeah they're, they're they flip. they switch their vote they up switch. all the time, yeah. right? right? So I am concerned for the scenario you put forward: um, white women coming voting yes on Prop Three and not supporting tickets uh, that is, you know, people that um, would support that kind of legislation would support their right to choose. So that is my concern. But um, as far as a turnout mechanism and uh, and invoking enthusiasm in the democratic base i'm hopeful i'm really hopeful beyond the democratic base i'm glad you brought up like groups of people that are getting a lot of attention the other group besides these educated suburban white women that gets a lot of attention are these people who are registered independents bless their hearts (laughs) people who are (laughs) in 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 the middle of the road who are not uh you know really decisive on one party or the next. Uh, what do you think? Are how how do how, how do they typically lean, and where do you think they'll lean on this? Yeah, I mean, I think what question. I've heard. Yeah, right. <laughs> what I've heard of independent voters is that they have um, very strong convictions on issues, right? But they don't necessarily align those convictions with one party or the other. Now, do I understand these people? <laughs> Not necessarily, but that is what I've heard of them. And so to Donna's point, I'm curious about whether or not the talking points are wrong, whether or not the broad frame of the economy is wrong. That was the question wrong, I, was, right? I was leading to. Yeah. Because the, the Democratic Party has have these talking points, yeah. specifically around democracy. And we've had that conversation in Detroit a yeah. decade ago, too little, too late in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, also uh, abortion, while yeah. Republicans have their talking points around banning books and inflation in the economy. Is, is the messaging effective? We'll see. We'll see tomorrow. Um, I think I think it is right. I think people do associate um, 
these issues of bodily autonomy with the freedoms that were fought before when we're talking to when we're talking to moms right when we're talking to moms about their personal experience they understand or they make the connection between being forced to be pregnant and 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 slavery right and 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 and, and not having that autonomy in other areas in uh, of history and so they'll make those connections i think this also impacts men as well because women don't get pregnant by themselves and (laughs) i I would imagine there are some men who are afraid of what that could mean for them but i think you know in addition to um that we're living in an era right now where there were people who who were just convicted of trying to kidnap and kill the governor where people are banning books and people are joining school boards with the express intent of controlling the curriculum and so you know, for me, you know, you talk about the price of milk or the price of freedom, and it's a no-brainer. I have noticed one thing, though. I don't know if anybody else has noted. As the election nears, gas prices are going up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I don't think this is coincidental. Mm-hmm. I think I understand where um, Shell Oil Company stands. same thing yesterday um, when I filled up. It's, yep. it's, it just feels non-coincidental. But I think that, you know, people have to decide in America whether they desire freedom more than they do yeah. Um this whole, whole um, superiority because I think the supremacy drive is really what gets some people. So it's a scary yeah. time for me, but I also think this is the a real debate. And I wish the New York Times Clive could have talked about this. Oh, Clive. This is Good old a Clive. real struggle between white people. Yeah. Black yeah. people aren't going to change their votes. This is really white people in this America saying, where do I stand? What kind of nation do we think we're going to have? That's their fight. Yeah. And if all of the political corruption you want to talk about, we're not even going to talk about Donald Trump and all of that. And instead, we're still talking about Kwame, who hasn't been in office for so long. We have people who are still behaving in politically corrupt manners right now. And some people are willing to give them a free pass and other people are trying to fight back. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. We got a couple minutes left. Uh, what do you want our listeners to know? The misinformation is is working, so please just do your research. Please make your vote count. Get out there tomorrow and vote. You can actually... Get out there Tuesday. Think, Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday. November the 8th. Yes, and I was going to say, I think you can still go to your clerk's office and vote, but I'm not sure what time they close today, but definitely Tuesday, November 8th. Please get out and vote. Yeah, get your absentee ballots in the drop boxes, please. That's extremely important. We want to make sure that every vote is counted. Um, want to make sure, like Ebony said, that you are voting for yourself. There's a lot of misinformation, but it's 100 words. Just yeah. read the summary and vote your values. Vote for people in your life that will be dearly affected, and it might be you. Um, so that's extremely important. And, and vote. You know, we are... We trust the people, you know, Mm. at Mothering Justice. I don't need to tell you how to vote. I trust that people, um, when they get in that ballot box and they read the proposal, they're going to vote the way that is going to um, give their families and themselves uh, the opportunity to make decisions uh, that are dear to them for themselves. You've inspired me, Daniel. Real quickly, I do have a question. Democracy doesn't end tomorrow, right? Yes. Oh, what happens let me tell on you. November 9th? Okay, listen. Tomorrow <laughs> is the start of accountability. Mm-hmm. Okay? Tomorrow is the start of accountability. And that's what we said when we were endorsing candidates, um, Mothering Justice Action Fund. 
we're endorsing you, that means we expect a seat at the table. We expect an open ear. We expect you to be listening to our mamas. And we are voting and we are supporting people who we think will be better at that. Right. Because it's about accountability. It's mm-hmm. about accountability. And, and making right. sure that on November 9th, every vote is counted. Yes. We might have to suit up and boot up and head down to y'all be Huntington ready. Y'all be center. ready. Yep. Be um, ready. Yeah. I'm telling you. Let me ask y'all this question. We and I know we got to go right now. Is abortion care in the state of Michigan legal? So important. Yes. yes. Okay. If you need help, yes, it is. please feel safe knowing that you can go to your doctor. You can go to a clinic and you can receive help um, and that you are safe from prosecution. Um, and the most important thing is that you are healthy and you do what's best for you. Yes. All right. No criminalization. Ebony Wills Taylor, Danielle Atkinson from Mother Injustice. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you Absolutely. for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, up next, we got Dan Arkin. We're going to talk about engaging local government. You want to stick around? We will be right back. Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroiters rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that asks the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit BridgeDetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit, by Detroiters, for Detroiters. Have you always dreamed of being on the airwaves? Well, the Detroit Eastside Engaged Podcast Network, or DEEP for short, is here to make that dream a reality. Located inside the Stoudemire, the DEEP Network offers studio space and production staff to help get your podcast idea off the ground. Doesn't take a whole lot of work to get started. Just visit the Authentically Detroit page at ecn-detroit.org or call Sarah at 313-948-0344. All right, welcome back. It's it's always the conversation off the air that is so interesting. It's like, okay, we're getting ready to come back. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we all know that promoting and protecting democracy doesn't end at the ballot box. Once we select our leaders, we must also remain committed to holding them accountable for their actions. Our next guest, Dan Arkin of Soapbox Detroit, is helping Detroiters do just that. Dan, welcome to Authentically Detroit. It's fantastic to be with you. We're happy to have you. So Soapbox Detroit is your platform to engage local government in Detroit. You can review the directory of city government departments, access the city charter, city code, and uncodified ordinances. Plus, you can participate in a full calendar of public hearings and community meetings. We want you to visit SoapboxDetroit.com. So Dan, tell us your backstory and how this all came about. It's a magnificent tool that I use every day as a journalist well i appreciate that and i'm glad you use it as a journalist i hope people use it as individual residents as neighborhood advocates as local business owners um backstory pretty simple i moved to detroit 2015 uh in order to uh join the city of detroit government always wanted coming out of law school i should confess i am an attorney um, (laughs) apologies um Really wanted to he get said, into. I'm sorry. 
that comes up a lot actually. But um, no, one really wanted to to come to Detroit and immerse myself in. Where are you from? New York City, originally, New York City, Brooklyn. Okay. Um, but I don't know Clyde, so don't worry about that. Okay. We coming for you, Clyde. We coming. Fine, Clyde. <laughs> That's another conversation. Um, and, and got here and wanted to reimmerse myself in municipal government. I had worked for the city in New York, a little different, and really wanted to just get involved, do what I could um, to share whatever wisdom I could, but mostly to learn. Because I know this is not New York. I think we've established that today. Mm-hmm. Um, and quickly learned from firsthand experience just how difficult it could be to get information about the city, even as a city employee, and then just as quickly as a city resident. Um, same time, also experiencing, again, wearing both hats simultaneously every day, how hard it can be to engage between government, the city departments, boards, commissions, everything like that, and local residents. And that that street goes two ways. Um, And it can be difficult um, in both directions. Mm. So, you know, a lot of these ideas swirling around, not really sure what to make of it. Pandemic hits, we all go home, we're, you know, making our sourdough bread, we're binging Mm -hmm. on Netflix. I decided uh, I'm going to double down and, and research my local government even more than normal because <laughs> mm. again what what's a municipal attorney going to do with his free time <laughs> um first basically the project was to answer a few questions i had one could i create just a basic summary and outline a structure a directory of all the different nooks and crannies in our local government and i started researching um, and researching and researching. And by the time I got to about, I think, 85 different departments in our local government, mm. um, I was out of breath. That's for one mm-hmm. thing. Mm. Um, and then I started to ask, well, what is it all these departments do? And again, I work on this every day, but just as a resident, as a personal project, could I unpack how these departments, boards, commissions, how does our government, government make decisions for us um, and that affect us. Um, and so, you know, just kept going to, um, to eventually develop what, what I like to, to think of as a, a feedback loop of engagement and mm. advocacy between your local government and the euph- euphemistically called stakeholders, but people, you know. Yeah. Let's call, call them who they are. They're people, they're local mm-hmm. businesses, they're block clubs. Everyone who lives, works, plays in Detroit and wants the best for their city and for their community. So we so love for those we... people to also be treated like citizens, right? Absolutely. But a lot of times Detroit residents are treated more like subjects than like citizens where voting rights are circumscribed if not taken away. Mm-hmm. When you have so many authorities that are making key decisions around Detroit resources yeah. and people don't even know those ex- authorities exist. I looked at the Detroit um the, the um, organizational um, structure a uh-huh. few years ago. And I was like, this is crazy. Yep. You have dotted line chart. relations. Org mm-hmm. chart. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, org chart. You have dotted line relationships between departments and authorities. Mm-hmm. And the boards, the authorities are appointed by mayor. And maybe the department head that's overseeing them is the chair of the board over the authority. And so there's this quasi-independence. But the one thing about authorities is they are not directly accountable to voters. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not showing up at those meetings, 
how do you even understand the kinds of decisions like, you know, um, around everything, um, all of the resources practically in our government are governed by authorities, aren't they? Just about all of them. Um, a lot of them are. Yeah. You know, these public authorities, they are public entities. They are created, you know, by an active city council. They have authority out of state law, but they are semi-autonomous and they can do things and they have restrictions that are unique to themselves. Um, and it can be hard to understand that, um, you know, we think of our local government as, you know, the mayor, the council, the city clerk, and a lot of departments that sort of surround them. But when you think holistically about what is local government to you from the resident's perspective, you've got, you know, an independent school board, you've got all these public uh, economic development authorities that are all doing their own thing. Right. But, you know, when you look at the Detroit Land Bank Authority, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the Detroit Land Bank Authority is an independent authority that controls the, all of the surplus land in the city or most of the surplus land in the city. The chair of the board, Carrie Lawand Monroe, mm-hmm. has been in place for so long, but we keep on, you know, having over- turnover in the actual people <laughs> running the authority. And it seems to me as though if I were a person who was running the Detroit Land Bank Authority, I might feel as though I have to answer to Carrie Lawan Monroe, as well as the people who have a dotted line relationship to a city department. Mm-hmm. Is that true? It is true that it is that complicated. I don't remember <laughs> if she is still the director. She is the right chair now. of the board. The chair of the board. And, and I believe the chair, the board members are appointed. By who? I forget for the land bank, it's either generally a combination of mayoral appointments or city council. The mayor makes the majority of the appointments. Maybe the city council makes a minority of the appointments, right? But to your point, if you want to pay, you know, if you want to follow that leadership, it may not seem intuitive that the leadership of this independent authority, you really have to point your your arrows at, at the council or the mayor and those appointments, because that authority is going to trickle but down. But also, exactly if a said. person who's running that authority wants to make a decision mm-hmm. that the mayor doesn't <laughs> want, and the mayor stacks the board, does that person really have freedom, or do they risk losing their job? Mm-hmm. It's a fair question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to ask, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> Earlier on in the pandemic, you know, I was watching the Tiger King and Carol Baskin <laughs> and uh, the Tiger King go at it. And you were building a whole platform. You could so have that, been researching the, the Board of Water research. Commissioners with me. <laughs> that could have been. Yeah, but I was. <laughs> but you were the one person that finished else. their COVID project. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I want to talk about why this is such an important function of yeah. democracy year-round. Make the case for us. Yeah, so I think this really comes back to what I call the the difference between when information is technically available, if you know where to go and when to find it, versus meaningfully accessible. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to expect the average person to be able to get this information and then do something with it, right? We talked about the engagement and advocacy feedback loop. Getting the information is half of it. The other 180 degrees is taking that information and using it as a tool to sh- be able to share your two cents back to your local leaders. Yes. Right? The name is not <clears throat> that inventive. The, it's just built on the premise that everyone should have their own soapbox to stand on and have their two cents be heard. Um, 
literally everyone. That's what democracy yeah. Right. Yeah. means. But, you know, we have the Brown, Detroit Brownfields Redevelopment Authority. Mm-hmm. I never know what's on the agenda. I never know when they meet until maybe after the fact when somebody, you know, pings me and says, hey, this is what the Brown, Detroit Brownfields Redevelopment Authority yeah. decided. It's not published in the paper. Yeah. It's not published at the clerk's office. And so if they're making the kinds of decisions that help to control how we manage our resources, how do I as a citizen have meaningful input into anything? I can go to my city council meetings and yeah. the like. Do you also provide meeting schedules for those authorities? Absolutely. Like I said, I, I lost track. Some fluctuates, but it's about 85 different ones of these silos. And it's you know it's not just my effort to do better than the city clerk or or one particular uh-huh. office. Although that would that that's another conversation oh. we can have. <laughs> what, what really got me going was at one point I heard Shady, read this tutorial shade, about shade. if you want to stay on top of what your local government is doing, you just need to check the website um, or get the email from each department every day and then hmm. you know what to do. And I'm sitting here thinking that is five ninety websites and emails to check every day. No, this is this is not going to work. This is not going to work for me who has a law degree and knows what to do and how to find this. This is absolutely not going to work for anyone who's got anything better to do, which is everyone. Um, it should not be this hard um, to get this information. So, do you also um, collect re- um, minutes, or how do people access the minutes and records from those meetings? Yeah, minutes can be hard. But um, along the way, I connected with another fantastic op, um, organization. They need a shout out, Documenters Detroit. Mm. Yeah, um, we use you. Yeah, all the time. And, and their reporting, oftentimes, documents, yeah, is as good as the official minutes that come out of a wow. board. So we collaborated. A link to to their notes for any department. You can get through that directory, and people have been pretty happy. With that DetroitDocumenters.org. Visit it. You can see a lot of the minutes, and a lot of and a lot of those minutes we pull from. Yeah. Um, as journalists, because we know uh, you guys are watching those meetings when we can't be in. You know, yeah. we only six of us in the newsroom. We can't be at every meeting. So, so once I sort of figured out, well, who are we dealing with? What are all these boards and commissions and departments that are so hard to track? You know, then the question was, is it possible to figure out? You know, when are they making their decisions? You know, when, what's going on? What are they actually up to? And, and fortunately, at the, the local level, a lot of that decision-making is made in public meetings, public hearings, community meetings, town halls. And tracking that can be hard enough. So um, that was my second challenge, was consolidating all those meeting schedules, meeting locations. Um, certainly didn't help when uh, everything went virtual and we've got these crazy Zoom links to keep track of. Um, but yeah, that's the, the second feature I, I put together was this one calendar. It's one location. It's all the meetings, uh, town halls, community events for every nook and cranny in your local government. And you can check it once a day. Um, you can even sign up and get the agenda for the next day in your inbox in a newsletter each morning. And, you know, people generally take 30 seconds, two minutes to look it over, see if there's something of interest. And that may sound really quick, but it shouldn't take longer than that. You should be able to know what is or what are all the departments of your local government that are making these decisions on your behalf going to do today? And and what are all the times and locations where you need to be to, to participate? 
You know, I'm a new oh. subscriber, and yeah. I appreciate it. Go on. Yo, sorry. I just it reminds me, or it just makes me think of the Open Meetings Act. It's just like the spirit of yeah. of understanding how people consume information and how much time they need. And yeah. it's a shame that you have to be in a city with a benevolent, <laughs> you know, entrepreneur or you know, philanthropist. I don't know what term would would frustrated. There you go, right? <laughs> to be able to have something like that, but it it seems like something every city should have. Yeah, I appreciate that. And there you know, there are cities that do it better and do it worse, you know. Uh, from my informal unscientific survey, I would say Detroit's probably in the middle of the pack in terms of this performance. But you know, one thing I've, I've never reacted to, I've never thought is like a violation of open meetings or transparency. You know, this isn't a claim that the city is breaking the law. It's more a reflection of the level of transparency that our state laws actually require. And again, can we go further to achieve sort of a meaningful transparency, meaningful accessibility above and beyond what our state laws require? Well, you know, democracy does die in the darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're very fortunate to have you bring All these right, things Washington to light. <laughs> and we also are very fortunate to have Bridge Detroit, yeah. you know, yeah. raise stories and create narratives that really help people understand some of what's happening. For yeah. so long, we were kept in the dark about most most of what was happening until there was a scandal, you know. <laughs> it was, you know, our our newspapers tend to, our dailies tend to really be concerned with sports teams and <laughs> You know, and and gossip, and yeah. you know, just auto show too. Auto show, yeah. I mean, we care. This is the new car that's out, but there's very little effort made to inform us. I think what's really interesting <laughs> is seeing um, these new grassroots efforts emerge, because yeah. I consider Bridge Detroit to be sort of mm-hmm. grass grassroots newspaper, and mm-hmm. Mothering Justice also mm-hmm. really working to organize people. You guys um, are really doing things that Detroiters need. And I wonder if there's some way that Detroit residents have a way, like there's some annual conference or something where people can come and learn about all of this. Yeah. yeah. Oh we my so God. Mama's yeah. March. Our Mama's <laughs> March is coming up. Well, yeah, but you know, we were just talking, yeah. you know, Ebony was writing down Dan's name because this is an amazing tool yeah. for advocacy organizations that again are just, um, as asset limited or constraint as a newsroom is as far as like we need to know all this information to be able to mobilize yeah. our people mm-hmm. yeah. but it's just so much and that's so the key word that's been buzzing in my head this whole time developing this is advocacy yeah you know um, first to acknowledge that this is not an effort for journalism you know as important as that is as the important as the documenters in bridge detroit are at telling the stories that need to be told you know, I'm not creating original content trying to broadcast what I think about these issues or my reporting on these meetings. This is just to provide the basic information you need so that you can show up mm-hmm. and let your local leaders know about your opinion. Um, because I have my own opinions and yeah. I'm happy to share them. I went to law school in order to have an opinion about everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's the job. But, you know, I am one resident among many, and my opinion matters no more and no less than everyone else. And so hopefully this is just the information that everyone needs to share their own two cents. You know, I like to say that the antidote to free speech is more free speech. And if I have an agenda here, it's to get the volume in that civic space in that town square jacked up to 11 with everyone again on their soapbox feeling empowered to share their own two cents. And I never assumed to, you know, understand or guess 
what other people's perspective are. But I do think they should have the power to share it um, as much as a trained attorney who knows, you know, where where to go and, and what to say. All right. Visit SoapboxDetroit.com, your local platform to engage your local government in the city of Detroit to subscribe to that daily newsletter every single day so you can know what's going on in the city. Dan Arkin, thank you so much for coming on. It's been fantastic. All right, everybody. It's time for shout outs. Before we close it out, Donna, you got any shout outs? Yes, I want to shout out our candidate for the um, Wayne State Board of Governors. Did I get that yes, right? You did. Danielle Thank you so much. Atkinson. Governor Danielle you know what? Um, it's a, This is an important race because yeah. we are um, coming upon a new presidential search. Yes. And yes. we need people who really understand the educational needs of Detroit. When I think of Wayne State, I think of a university that helped create a black middle class in Detroit. Exactly. And it opened doors for so many people in my family, so many mm. people that I love. We need to continue leadership. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to say Daniel Atkinson is running for. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I will take that endorsement. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. On a technicality. <laughs> on a technicality. I think I'm allowed to have an opinion on you this show. You can have an opinion yeah, for sure. So, yes, and an you, endorsement. Thank you. And, you know, I'm really excited about Mothering Justice. I just want to say, I know that you guys are doing some things to create a um, a new bench of uh, political activists who yes. are possibly running for office, yeah. and I admire that, and I was also want to publicly um, acknowledge you for that. And Dan, <laughs> Soapbox Detroit has been coming to my mailbox email box just a couple of weeks when I first found out that you were going to come on our show. And I knew about you, and now I know it's happening every single day of the week. Thank you for that. Yeah. Anybody else got shout outs? Anybody want to shout out? Oh, yeah. I do have a shout out. Um, well, one, our amazing guest. Thank, I mean, host. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. This is your show, Danielle. Hey, I know, guests. right? I was like, thanks yeah. for coming, y'all. No, and um, the volunteers, the election volunteers that have been uh, working really hard, knocking doors, making phone calls, talking to their friends and family. Thank you so much. On the eve of, you know democracy's Christmas really appreciate you all All I want to shout out Mother and Justice staff Mother and Justice Action Fund staff they've been working hard all year um, leading up to this election Um, we've done some unique and cool things that we've tried out this year and so we're just super excited to see the results of tomorrow. And I want to shout out my husband and my, my two babies. Hey, family. Um, Maybe I should and... shout out my husband, too. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the shouts out. <laughs> Dan, do you have anybody you want to shout yeah. out? Yeah. Your family first, in New first York. First shout out close Clyde. to home. My, I was like, my shout my out wife. my husband, please. My <laughs> wife. And... <laughs> hey, could be, but no. My first shout out to my wife and daughter who have given me the time to, to put this all together. Uh, and let me... But um, they've really shouldered a lot of burden on this. But also my wife in particular, she likes to say, you got to be your own number one fan. And I took that to heart and I twisted it a little bit and said, you've got to be your own number one advocate. Yes. Um, also shout out to all of the election workers that they're hopefully mm-hmm. asleep by now because they've got an early morning and a late night. Yes, they do. And I've worked many an election cycle, not tomorrow, but... Um, Going back a number of years, mm-hmm. it is hard work, it is thankless work, um, and it is important work. So I just want to shout out a thank you 
to everyone that's going to be working the polls and helping people vote. Mm. You stole my thunder. I wanted to shout out uh, the poll workers who are going to be up <laughs> all day and night and the journalists who are going to be up all mm. day and night yeah. uh, covering this. Y'all reach out to a poll worker that you know and reach out to a journalist you know and let them know you love them and hug them. That's going to do it for this week. We thank you so much for listening. We'll see you same time next week. Until then, we want you to catch the wave.